Zandile, thank you so much for joining us in the Branson Center studio today. Um, there's plenty for us to chat about. And so before I get there, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me, Nwabesa. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Zandi, Zandi Lentlovo. I grew up in Soweto. I am a freediving instructor, South Africa's first black female freediving instructor. I am also the founder of the Black Mermaid Foundation, which is an organization that is working to create diverse representation in ocean spaces. Um, just recognizing how undiverse the ocean space is, I knew I wanted to create change professionally, recreationally in sport, in how we interface and our narratives around water. Um, I am a budding filmmaker, recently having handed over my first film to an international streaming platform. And so continuously <laughs> just doing the work to expand and and tell stories that that inspire and expand narratives and and just allow black bodies to live in the most joyful, incredible way in these oceans that have witnessed us in many, many other ways. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> in terms of changing narratives, but using inspiration, what is it that got you to fall in love with the ocean? Mm. It was a world I had never seen or imagined possible before. So I always, I can remember crystal clear that day in 2016 in Bali, just the, the fish life, the blues, the bottom of the ocean looking, it looked like it was lit from beneath. And obviously it was just the sand bits between the coral, but how the light was just falling on that reef was a world I'd never seen before. And... And then what naturally followed from there was diving in, following the dive master and just feeling a sense of belonging like I'd never felt before in my life. And that's when I knew it was over. I had to figure out what it means to be here, to continuously be in this feeling of home. Mm. Home being the ocean for you, effectively, 100%. as our, our resident Black Mermaid. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit more about the sort of process of free diving um, and the reason I asked this question perhaps to preempt an answer because I'm that kind of host <laughs> um, is I think I suspect that in the process of one acquiring the skill to be a free diver to engage in free diving might probably have some sort of similarity to the entrepreneurial journey. Mm. I'm, I'm just, I have a feeling about it. So maybe can you take us through the journey of one becoming a freediver, freediving instructor, and the actual almost physical machinations of freediving? Mm. The work of, so pretty much when you learn to freedive, you of course learn, the whole idea is to, people first think it's the breath hold. Mm but it's the ability to relax in the midst of discomfort that actually determines your ability to grow within freediving. And so first it's that, and then you teach your body continuously. When you think of a breath hold, you're continuously teaching your body to be able to operate at high levels of carbon dioxide, mm. which most people can't. And that's why you need, you get the urge to breathe. And so you go through this pool training session, you get theory, you go through the pool training session, you need to show um, 
perfection in the pool and from that pool we then go to depth right so you're learning how to fin you're learning how to maximize your lung capacity you're learning how to fully breathe mm. and that's another thing that i don't think we learn i i always say you know my 30s i learned how to breathe in my 30s and those deep inhales and those massive exhales and your ability to energize your body just by breaths alone um and yeah, that's the gist of it. I, I I don't know how much more I can share, but generally it is to learn the skills in the pool. You learn how to do a rescue in the pool, and then you go and you show me in the in the big ocean space. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And I think why I, I'm starting to reflect on my suspicion around the similarities around maybe the journey that entrepreneurs go through is that, you know, as an entrepreneur, especially purpose-led entrepreneurs, mm. you wake up with a knowing. You wake up with this urgency to fulfill your purpose mm. through the business that you're going to create. Mm. You go into it and it's incredibly uncomfortable as you work out the kinks in your business, as you take on some knocks. But somewhere through the purpose that you have, you maybe actually learn to relax amidst mm that discomfort mm -hmm. and maybe back going to what you were talking about, then you start making these incredible discoveries mm -hmm. um, in terms of what the reef looked like for you mm -hmm. when you were in Bali. That's, I think, where my, my thoughts were taking me mm -hmm. as I looked at you as a free diver. I definitely, I can 100% see the two, right? And the ultimate world of your entrepreneurship journey is to trust what you know. Mm. And in every single moment, there are times when you don't know, but what does it mean to pause, reflect, don't find yourself in fear continuously, right? You can't be led by fear. And the same holds true in business. And ultimately, it is to always go back to the source. Uh. You're always in every single moment just arriving at, why did I start? Uh. Your why is important. And for you to be present to your why allows you to navigate the next, uh. whether you know, whether you don't know. Um, and to just find a way to, to reimagine what discomfort is. You reimagine what happens in the moments when you're afraid. You don't have the option to pick up your stuff and run. Exactly. The only option is to pause and be with what's going on. Mm. And that allows you to grow, expand, changes you as well in the entire process. I love it because obviously as the Branson Center our purpose is to change business for good. And how we do that is to get entrepreneurs to articulate their purpose, mm -hmm. embed purpose, measure purpose, and keep being able to use purpose then as that navigation tool, whether it's, you know, calm waters or stormy waters, because mm -hmm. I'm going to try to keep my metaphors <laughs> nautical. And so you describe a very specific relationship that you have with the ocean and so I would be quite curious to find out from you, having spent time in, on, next to, around the ocean, what have you seen as changes that are occurring in the ocean? I think one of the places that I will always go back to is Sudwana Bay. Mm -hmm. I've dived Sudwana for many years now. But what is changing is seeing little pieces of corals that are bleaching, right? Mm. And this is what over a period of six years. Mm. And so we know that our oceans are warming. We, you know, being in the Maldives, I think that was probably my most, it was heartbreaking. Mm. The 
the, what do you call it, the atoll that I was at, mm. when we dived, it was just gray. Like it was mm. white, grayed out corals. It was, there was no life. Mm. There were no fishes. There was just this lone stingray and mm. this dead ocean. Mm. Um, that was a scary sight. And again, I say this because our reefs here in South Africa are so beautiful. They're filled with life. They, you know, they're thriving. Yeah, they are thriving. And then you start to see these pockets of bleached corals, and you say, "We could never look like that at all." That I got to to witness. What does that mean? But aside from that, the amount of litter that you come across, like. On dives, we're always picking up plastic, we're putting it in our wetsuits. You always come out with a bunch of stuff mm. from the ocean. And I think it's it's so unfortunate because in the same way that you pick up all of the stuff, you'll also see a seal with a fishing line wrapped around up. it, mm. wrapped, and there's nothing you can do. Mm. You know, you see a shark with a fishing hook in its mouth, but it's the continuous question of how humanity cannot keep its own outside of the ocean. Like... It's 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 a it's a horrible witnessing, mm. but it's an everyday witnessing mm. of what we're doing to our oceans. How were you able to use what you're witnessing to empower perhaps yourself and enable other people to think about reimagining their relationship with the ocean, with perhaps the desired outcome being repairing the ocean and obviously getting to a point where the ocean can continue to thrive? I find that social media is an incredible tool for change. So when I think of my own dives, I document a lot of it. But when I take the kids in the foundation out, mm. anytime when we're out at sea, they see me do it, right? Mm. And, and and there's so much in the foundation space where I want the kids to navigate and find the space for themselves. Because for most of the kids, it's their first time seeing beneath the surface of the water. It's their first time kind of connecting with the ocean in that way. They, before we jump in, I tell them the challenges that the ocean is facing. We talk about what we're going to come across, but I don't tell them what to do. Uh. And I feel like there's so much in navigating themselves from the fear to the being, and then they see me pick up, pick up this, pick up that, pick up this. Why are you picking up the stuff? And I'm like, do you remember I said plastic? Yeah, uh, here it is. Right. Um, and so I find it is just to continuously be the action that you want to see in the world. And as you, as you document your life, and as people see you, that's how you multiply. Um, people do what people do, not necessarily what people say. And so, and I feel like how we tell the narratives of the ocean cannot be, it, 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 we love to place science and we love to place numbers, but that's not how people connect. People connect with people. People see a relationship with a body of water and they say, what does that mean? What does it look like? What is, you know, my nieces, when I start picking up rubbish, they start picking mm. up rubbish. And again, it stops being a chore on them. It's a chore on us. Uh, uh. And I think I, I believe in that a lot. The collective ability to create change, but it's based on our own individual actions in the daily. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about the foundation, the work that you do, um, the purpose of the foundation, and perhaps what success looks like for you and the foundation. So the Black Mermaid Foundation is 
you know, finding ways to have that moment when I was 28 years old, when I saw beneath the surface of the water happen at a way earlier age, mm. right? As a black person who grew up in Soweto, I didn't grow up around the ocean. I didn't even know that there was a world that looked like that. And so it's the idea that what would happen if this happens way earlier, mm. would the kids, when they make their subject choices, not be afraid to choose like a marine facing space? Mm. Um, is it possible to place a coin in a body? And at a time that coin will drop somehow, mm. you know, is it a world that they can go back to and find peace and solitude? And I don't know what it looks like, sure. but the hope is that there's something in, in their bodies when we say protect our oceans, when we say, what do you want to be? Mm. You know, and someone says, I want to work at sea, I can be a skipper, I can be a marine biologist, I can be an oceanographer, I can be a cinematographer. You know, there's all of these worlds. And for me, it says, it starts with them. And so we go on these snorkel excursions and we, we wild fear, right? So everyone's like, I can swim, I can swim. Of course, we're, we're about to have a party. But when we jump into the water, you know, there's there's tangible terror. fear, like terror, that's the word. And we just find our way slowly. We find our way and somewhere along the way, one of the kids will say there's a starfish. Mm. And that's when I know we've won. And for me, it's just, that's the dream. The dream is to make the ocean a less fearful place, um, to be a place where everyone goes to find their joy and their peace. Um, what is the greater hope for as many people as possible to see beneath the surface, to witness her beauty, to find the connection enough to release the fear that lives in our bodies so that we can bathe in the incredible being that she is. Right. And so for me, and maybe the position that we take as the Branson Center is when we talk about people and inclusive economy and thriving people and a healthy planet um joy is also linked to economic well-being 100% because then there's choice there's dignity there's the ability to be creative there's freedom mm-hmm. and so when we how we looked at this conversation in this space we understand the ocean economy mm-hmm. And innovating within the ocean economy is something that's fundamental to the joy that you describe. Mm. What's your take on the ocean economy? It's a huge question, mm. but from your position, what is your take on that? I think it's such a hard one. Our oceans are already going through so much, right? And humanity needs more. Mm. So it's always a tricky one, but also it's always the question of access to said economy. Mm. And that access is limited and it is so largely exclusive. It requires resources in order to be able to access it and actually make an income from it. So one of the things that I always talk about is what does it mean for local ocean-facing communities to be key stakeholders when we, when we talk about ocean economy saving our seas? All of these bigger discussions that happen that are led by NGOs or business, uh. right? 
And I think that's part of the hard discussions. You know, when we say save our seas and everyone says, well, everybody shows up with their big boats and they go out mm. and then they come back. We're the hungry ones. We're the one that's that someone throws five rand at. Mm. But we live next to these oceans. And so the question of who protects these oceans is ultimately facing the people who benefit the most from the ocean. So it's, 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 it's a loaded question. And I don't know if I trust us enough to know when we've gone too far. Uh. You know, whether we're talking about the fishing industry or the extraction industry, I don't know if we're able to see past human comfort and human human need for more. Uh. I, I don't know if, and I think it's a, it's a tricky discussion, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't have answers, <laughs> and that's that, and that is the answer in terms of I don't know. Um, I think for us, we're diving into this conversation to just test and understand: is there room for entrepreneur-led innovation mm -hmm. within the ocean economy that can maybe move the needle just a little bit away from human need and comfort overriding? the sustainability of the ocean as an entity that we coexist with. And so that's kind of the question that we ask ourselves as we go into this ocean economy space is saying, mm. what does entrepreneur-led innovation look like in relationship to repairing the ocean mm. or making sure that what we do is sustainable? We don't know what the answers will be, but... We don't know what the answers will be, but when you look at it that way... That's different, right? Whether someone is coming up with an idea of how we get plastic out mm. and what we do with that plastic, mm. you know, that is the place where I'm just like, let's get in, let's get excited, yeah. let's see what we can do. Um, let's see how we're protecting our reefs, how we're replanting reefs to ensure that fish have homes. Um, th there's many things from that perspective that we can do, but again, yeah. Sure. And it's important that we also don't get to a place where, um, you know, our purpose and our intent of purpose also sometimes maybe blinds us to the realities of what we're up against or what we're dealing with. Mm. And so it's important that conversations like this do take us to a place of discomfort of being like, I don't know if we're going to be able to do it. I don't know if we're the right people to be doing it. Um so that we continually challenge ourselves to say, let's keep trying mm. and let's keep trying because this is important for, you know, healthy planet, thriving people, inclusive economy. Um, and I think that's, that's our answer to this question or even this mm. conversation. Mm. No, I'm 100% with you. 100% with you. Yeah. Mm. And so... You know, as you continue your work as Black Mermaid, as Zandi, <laughs> <laughs> through the foundation, what at the moment excites you when you think about the ocean, the ocean economy, innovation, and maybe even what it looks like for young people in South Africa? What excites me is the hope, right? For me, it's always hope. When I look at the kids' eyes when we go out, the, that fresh expansion of a world that has never been seen before, for me, tells me that that's where, that's where dreams are born. Um, and, and, and that's 
actually the thing that excites me the most because these kids are going to be business leaders. They're going to be presidents. They're going to be policymakers. They're going to be ordinary citizens that don't sit down, huh. that don't allow for status quo to continue, that fight for their space. Um, and that makes me excited. And and just by by that alone, I think we might tell a better story to the generations to come. Huh. You know, I was with the kids once when someone fished out a shark and one of the kids was like, oh my word. And, um, and it's that energy, mm. right? It's a horrible thing to witness, but it says, how are we protecting the ocean? Mm. What are we doing? Um, and yeah, that actually just makes me, that's what excites me. And hopefully finding ways to make the opportunities reach the kids that live in Langa. Mm. Because the ocean space requires money mm. to exist in it, participate in it, work in it, live in it, be in it. And, and so just hopefully in this whole space of an ocean economy that's booming, someone sees the people that don't necessarily grow up around the ocean and finds a way to bring these opportunities there as well. Um, but yeah, what makes me excited is the hope that we really could leave healthy oceans for the generations to come. And not only for the business end, but for the wonder that the ocean brings. Uh -huh. We need it. it. It is like nothing else on earth. And so if, if just to be able to dream in colors and creatures that you never thought were possible, that's needed for humanity too. Amazing. Last question. <laughs> in a world of limitless possibilities, mm and just an ending time, where is the place that you'd like to go dive at? <laughs> the Dominican with sperm whales, the Dominican right. Republic. Um, sperm whales are a dream. How smart they are. Um, the incredible freedivers that they are. And just to witness my tiny self next to them you know you know what makes the ocean crazy right tell me <laughs> no, no no the ocean is insane because you'll see this humpback whale that's easily like a ton and it sneaks up on you <laughs> can you imagine it's just it's this most it's the biggest body you could ever imagine housing things that really are massive and we get to interact with it mm. she lets us be there that is crazy and wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's scary. Well, but I just amazing. Need a little bit of fear to yeah. keep us on our toes and to keep yeah. us safe. It's 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 yeah. But that experience, that is it. That is my next. Well, we'll watch the space and hopefully you'll document it for us. We'll be able to watch you and we'll keep having a conversation with you and hopefully you'll actually remain one of those people who challenge us to do better as well in the work that we're doing in the ocean economy, working with these entrepreneur-led innovations. And so I hope to stay in conversation with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>
Mm-hmm. I was like, we can talk about travels. But no. We could. I mean, we could. But no. But it's not today. That's a different <laughs> podcast. <laughs>